Seeds podcast. My name is Natasha Collins and I am the host and I'm also the founder of MC Real Estate, which is my firm of surveyors. It includes its members club for landlords and property investors to come and build profitable property portfolios that completely align with their goals. I have to let you guys know, Members Club is open this week. Yes, first time it's open for the year. The cost of the Members Club is £97 per month. If you want to join, you have to come to ncrealestate.co.uk forward slash members club. Let me tell you what's inside. Once you jump into the Members Club, the very first thing that will happen is number one, you'll get your login details so that you know how to log into the members club. You'll have your name and your password. You then jump into the online area. There will be a welcome video. You watch that, it will show you around the members club. Then you'll receive an email from the community manager of the members club, Lorenza, who will explain what your first steps are. The first steps, well, you have three things. You need to give us information about you because as I say, we tailor your strategy to you. So I want to know where you are today, what your goals are, and all of the details about how you want to get there, what investment you want to get into, um, what you like, what you don't like, so that we can have good conversations about what is right for you and what isn't right for you so that we can get you to your goals as quickly as we possibly can. From there, you'll be invited to orientation calls. That's your first call you get on so that we can make sure that you've got all of the right information together. And then you can come to Q&As. We do a residential Q&As. We do commercial Q&As. We do mixed use Q&As. We also have our resident coach who comes in and helps you with your goals and your mindset once a month. We have other resident coaches who come in and support you in terms of finding investor finance and everything else around property investment. You can come to as many of those sessions a month as you would like. The other thing we work on with you is your strategy, making sure that you have got a month by month guide of what you need to do to get you from here to your goals. And finally, we have access to all of the industry databases so that we can get you comparable information, we can give you get you um, lease information, sale price comparables for both the commercial and the residential industry. And we have access to all of the databases that a regular firm of surveyors would have among others. So we have all of that in the members club for you. If you'd like to get access to that, then you need to go to ncrealestate.co.uk forward slash members club to join today really, really, really important that you do that. Doors will be closing on Thursday, the 28th of January. So make sure you get in super, super, super quickly. Right, I'm really excited. If you come and join me in the members club, I cannot wait to work with you and your portfolio. So do come on in, come and meet me, my team. We are here as your property investment experts. We are your surveyors in your pockets. Come and use us for that. Today I want to talk to you about a hot topic and this probably won't surprise you but I have a rather controversial angle on this topic. So I want to talk to you about why I'm not a fan of E-Class to C3 
permitted development rights. <laughs> now I see this all over um, uh, clubhouse chats, LinkedIn, social media, this celebration that the government is currently consulting on giving permitted development rights for change of use from E-Class to C3. And within E-Class, if you didn't already know, um, E-Class is the new class that came out in September um, 2020, which all encompassed everything under A1, A2, A3, B1 and D1 and D2 use. This is commercial use. So A1 is shop, A2 is financial and um, similar services such as agency but and professional services but not medical. A3 is cafe or restaurant. Um, B1 is office use, D1 is um, health centers, um, day centers, things like that, um, and D2 is gymnasiums, uh, indoor recreation, and leisure. So all of those users were bought under one use class, which is use class E. At first, this was only gonna be a temporary change, but it looks like from the government consultation that they want that to be a long-term change that has brought in a lot of, uh, a lot of um, interesting discussions about how rents are valued. That will be a discussion for another day. But today, I'm focusing on the fact that as of August 2021, the government want to allow anything under E-Class to be able to be converted to C3 dwelling houses, so residential, without the need to go through planning. Now, there will be a few exemptions to that, um, and they do want to make sure that, you know, outstanding areas of natural beauty um, are safeguarded, so you wouldn't be able to do it there. But actually, conservation areas are fine. You could do this in a conservation area. So this is pretty wide-reaching. And... The reason that the government do want to do this is because um, obviously at the moment they're on a push for as many um, new residential properties as they possibly can. You will already know that there isn't a lot of supply for residential houses in the UK and so the government wants to open that up, which means bringing more supply to the market um, and reducing that demand. And by reducing that demand, if you are um, interested in economics and you've seen the supply and demand graphs, you know that that should reduce prices. <laughs> so that is the hope. The hope is if they get rid of that planning permission process, um, more and more developers will convert their commercial um, into residential. That also frees up these big, big units, you know, these big stores. A while ago, I was talking to you about the Debenhams units, huge, 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 huge retail floor plates that at this moment with the current market conditions, you're not gonna get a retailer who's gonna come and take that much space, but actually they would make really good residential properties. So that is the point. And 
as another point, um, it doesn't matter whether the whole of your building is E-class or part of your building is E-class. Any part of the building or the whole building that is designated currently under that E use class could be changed to C3. That is the plan. In theory, this is a really good idea. You know, commercial tenants really struggling at the moment. So they're coming out. There's a lot of commercial tenants going into administration. There's a huge amount of problems around collecting commercial rents, which quite rightly so is causing a lot of la uh, alarm for um, commercial investors. And so, you know, this is a solution to the problem. It's also a solution to those wannabe first time homeowners who can't find properties to suit them. So I get why this is coming in, but I have a serious issue with this. Yes, again, controversial. Let me go through the reasons why I don't think this is a good idea. And then I'll go through what I actually think should happen instead, because I always think that if I complain about something, I also have to propose a solution. So let me tell you what I think is wrong with this. Um, firstly, I think it poses a huge risk to messing up town centers and high streets. The reason for the use class order was to give a good mix and balance of trades throughout the high street. Um, and it, it almost then zones areas within cities, towns, you name it. So it gives you that commercial area within the center of towns where you've got retail. Um, it means that people go to a certain area to shop, to do their business, basically to work and play. That gives that area of the town and then around that is traditionally residential. If all of a sudden you've got vacant commercial premises in town centers which are then converted into residential, it messes up the tenant mix of a town center. Because can you imagine you're walking down say Oxford Street or Bond Street and I doubt that this would happen on these busy streets, but I'm giving it to you as a hypothetical. Where you're walking down and next door to Hamleys, for example, on Bond Street, is a residential unit with a residential frontage. So there's no shop there. So then you have to walk past that residential unit in order to get to the next shop. And then say that keeps happening. So you're on a high street where you've got one commercial retail, one residential, and that goes on, so on and so forth. You're then starting to prevent pedestrian flow down these high streets because people are thinking, well, hold on a second. There's now not everything I need here. It's predominantly residential. Why would I bother? Why would I go here? And commercial tenants think the same. They're, commercial tenants like to be next door to each other. They like to be next door to each other because they can capitalize on the trade of the neighboring unit. But if the neighboring unit is a residential tenant and there's no footfall going in and out of there, there is nothing for them to bounce off of. So what we will find is people not wanting to go to these areas because it's not got the density of business that they are used to going to. It's no longer consumer friendly. But you'll also find that retail tenants, commercial tenants, won't necessarily want to go to that building because they don't want to have residential tenants 
as neighbors. The other thing is, if you have got a restaurant in a building and you've got residential either side of you or, or above you, when traditionally you would have businesses, if you are open late, that means that you're probably going to get a higher number of complaints. And that poor tenant mix can also be really problematic because who wants the property manager after you every single day? Hey, can you keep it down? Hey, can you keep this tidy? I mean, me as a property manager from a property management background, hated, hated constantly getting in contact with tenants and saying, look, you know, we've had this complaint or we had that complaint. You know, so, so poor tenant mix really doesn't help areas thrive. What this is doing is this is giving developers carte blanche to do what they want with areas without thinking about neighboring buildings, uh, what tenants they're bringing in. And if you do not think about that, ultimately that will bring prices down because if commercial tenants don't wanna be there um, and they don't wanna be in the commercial units, well, that's gonna bring the rent down for you trying to find commercial tenants to go in. And this is gonna sound strange, but something we need to think about. What residential tenant do you think is going to take a ground floor unit in a town center when it's meant to be busy around it? Ground floor traditionally doesn't let very well as residential, purely because it's noisy, people tend to throw stuff at the windows or leave their rubbish out, seriously. Um, and it just doesn't feel very safe for residential tenants. So ground floor units, turning that into residential, won't work that well. So you're gonna get this poor standard of residential accommodation if all left unchecked. And if you take away commercial and you change it into residential, then you're also taking away the amenities that the residential tenants would have moved into the area for. So it's interesting that the government feel that they should be putting this into developers and investors' hands rather than keeping it at council level. I find it really shocking because the minute you upset this, the minute the whole of the town, the whole of the area starts to fall down. That is my, that is the reason why I'm really not a fan of this change. However, I did promise you that I would let you know how I think it could work better instead. So let me give you um, an idea that I have and that I've seen works well because I've done this over the years. So I think it's really important that we look at tenant mix. And this is how can I add to the area with the property that I've got? You know, what can I bring? What's working really well and what's not working well? And I feel that each area needs to have a clear tenant mix policy. And that would mean that whilst I don't necessarily think that you need to be going through these lengthy planning, um, planning, you know, get, planning applications. You don't need to be going through that for months and months and months on end. I think the council should have a zoning map. So this area can be used for commercial on the ground floor, residential above, or this area can be used for solely residential, or this area should be purely commercial. That I think would work really well with a clear tenant mix policy. 
thinking about tenant mix is about minimizing bad neighbor issues. That's one of the big things. I've already mentioned that it can be really problematic having residential, certain residential tenants next door to certain um, commercial tenants. So this consultation puts the onus on landlords and developers to have to think about bad neighbor issues. If you do not stamp this out, then your tenants will just leave at the, the best possible time that they can, so a break date or at least renewal, because they just won't want to put up with the arguing. And so you need to be thinking about complementary uses. So if you've got residential in the upper parts, who would you want in the ground floor to really help them out and you know, give your ground floor tenant that custom. Coffee shops always work really well. Retail, you know, quieter tenants, quieter tenants on the ground floor. Whereas if you have a restaurant, usually it works better with offices over above because office, te office tenants are predominantly just there during the day. They're there during business hours, they leave. So if the restaurant is making noise at night, there's no one upstairs to complain about it. And that's the sort of thing you need to think about. Because the other thing, restaurants often have really noisy extractor fans. And when that is next door to a residential unit, my gosh, the number of complaints that you get. So we have to be thinking about that. This also then allows us to think about issues of different operating hours or um, tenants' needs. So you want to be putting together tenants that either work at the same time, you know, so the noise level stays the same, you're not gonna get excessive noise when, you know, as I said, restaurants, they're open late and the tenants upstairs are home and they're trying to go to bed, but there's people outside the restaurant making noise. You don't want that. You will just get complaint after complaint after complaint. Instead, you need to think about, okay, well, if I've got residential tenants above and I've got a unit that is only gonna be open nine till six, well, that's okay if it's quiet. Again, you also need to be thinking about deliveries on that because it is really beneficial having a small mini market um, underneath residentials, like your mini Waitrose or your mini Tesco's, but you've then got to think about when are they gonna have their deliveries? and how are they going to load their deliveries into the unit, right? What time is that coming? You don't want that coming at 4 or 5 a.m. when it's gonna be making beeping noises and you know the unloading noise of it coming off the, off the back of the lorry and waking everybody up and their babies and dogs barking. You don't want that. So you also need to think about how you can minimize that. Yes, a mini waitrose, for example, plus residential above works really well, but what are you going to talk to them about when they have their deliveries? Could they get their deliveries after 9 a.m., in which case can you have a loading bay that is designated for that tenant at that time? These are the sorts of things you need to think about. Then you need to think about a balance of trades. Why is a balance of trades so important? Well, a balance of trades is really important because if you have a balance, it brings people into the area and they don't only use one of the tenants, they use all of the tenants. So if you can work out how the pedestrian flow or the footfall along a street will you know, stop in one place, stop in the next place, stop in the, the place after that and use their money across all of the tenants in the area, you are bringing the area up because that means that more money is being spent with these tenants and so um, they can afford to pay your rent. 
These are the sorts of things you really need to be thinking about because if you don't think about that, the tenant doesn't get any customers, they can't afford to pay your rent. So that's why you have to be thinking about that balance of trades. When you go down to a local high street or you know, your local corner shop with, with neighboring tenants, what works well? Where do you use two tenants at once? I mean, me personally, um, where I'm living right now, there is a Starbucks, a Harris Teeter, which is the South Carolina version of um, Tesco's or co-op or, you know, a mini, mini shop, and then CVS, which is like a Boots. I would use all three right? I'd use all three and I do regularly use all three because it's really useful for me. So that's a really good tenant mix and you need to be thinking about that as well. Same as when you go into town centres, what shops do you go in that are near each other or work really, really well together? Quite often you'll see a sweaty Betty next to a Jojo mama and baby. Those two uses work really, really well together and they tend to be let in the same you know, they tend to find stores next to each other. The reason being is that they have similar audiences. Similar people will come to one shop and use the other, right? So they're going for the young mums. You want to be finding those tenants that work well together and putting them together. Again, if shoppers are using more of the properties or more of the tenants, they're gonna be spending more money overall. This then leads you on to thinking about pedestrian flow or customer access. How can these tenants um, move between the units? How will they use them? I was talking to my members last week about why I think that garden centers in the center of residential areas actually works really well. Garden centers are beautiful places to visit. They have the outside area, they have the inside area, and they also have a lot of concessionary stores, which means that they can have pop-ups, they can try things, and they usually have a cafe or a restaurant. Works really, really well. I mean, the rents are lower because the outside area is, tends to be rented at a lower pound per square foot, but if you have a property in the middle of a residential area with that kind of layout, why not think about that? Because you get your pedestrian flow all around um, the garden center and then you can build that out with complementary uses. Similarly, if you have um, a lot of designers or you know, furniture and wallpaper and paint shops together, that works really well so that someone can come to a design area and think, I need to redecorate my house. I need to do X, Y, and Z with it. I'm gonna just use this parade. That again, brings people to the area. And if you've got parking and somewhere that they can park, even better. But then also think about integrating different uses. How can you mix this up? How can you think, okay, well actually, if I have a coffee shop in the middle of um, men's retailer, men's clothes stores to one side, women's clothes stores to another side, maybe a couple of children's wear, that gives something for the whole family. So also integrating different uses works well too. And then finally, think about what tenants are needed in the area and would work well with the local demographic. What is needed? I have always said in the center of Bath, someone needs to get a Zara in there. I mean, the stores aren't currently big enough, although Side note, guys, I am happy to petition for the old Debenhams unit to be a Zara. 
anybody wants to pick up on that and is listening, please make that happen. Um, you need to think about what could be in demand and what could work. What do people want in the area? Now, if you think about all of this and put in place a tenant mix policy, you shouldn't just be going for that residential use. You should be going for a, a balance of tenants and a good tenant mix policy. Now, you may be thinking, Natasha, but I only own one property in an area. Okay, let me tell you something. As a property investor or a landlord, you are not an island. I will say that again. As a property investor or a landlord, you are not an island. You have to work with your neighboring landlords and investors and property managers. Because if you don't all work together, then you're not going to create these areas that people want to come and rent from you and they want to use. And I've learned that through my many years of being in the industry. When I was um, managing properties for the NHS and the landed estate, I would actually look at both those strategies and see how we could move tenants around between estates, right? And I would talk to other estates that I didn't even work on and say, hey, do you have any tenants coming out? I've got this space, I could put them in. Or do you have any empty space that I could put my tenants in? The reason being is because if you work together, you know what works and what doesn't. If a certain tenant doesn't work in an area, you don't want Joe Bloggs down the street putting that tenant in their unit because that's going to bring the area down too if it's not worked in yours. So you have to share ideas. And that for me is what the Members Club is about because we share those ideas and we do that on a weekly basis. We have to know what's going on in the industry so that we can make the best decisions. We make the best decisions, we increase the value of our properties because people want to be in our properties, they stay for longer and they pay the higher rents. If you create demand, that's where the money is made. So this is how I want us to be looking about this, about this change of use. Yeah, it may seem like really easy. Let's just go up and buy some commercial units and change them all into residential. Whoa, hold up. Have you actually thought about what kind of profit that is gonna make for you long-term? I doubt it. Please, 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 please. When we're buying up properties, we need to be looking at what is the best possible use for this property? Not just how easy is it to convert it into residential? How can we make the area better? How can we add to the area? If we're thinking about that, that is where we're going to be making the money. So that's what I think we should be doing instead. Clear tenant mix policies. Look at your area, figure out what's gonna work really well, and then for there, from there, provide the accommodation. I hope that's given you something to think about. I really, 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 really hope that it has because we need to be starting to think about this rather than just what the easiest thing is where we think we can make money but everybody drop, jumps on the bandwagon and all of a sudden prices fall off a cliff. Don't want that to happen. Instead, we need to be thinking about clear tenant mix policies. All right hope that's been useful. If you have liked this podcast, don't forget to rate and review it because I love, love, love hearing your comments. And remember, the Members Club is only open for this week only. So head on over to ncrealestate.co.uk forward slash members club to join today.
thank you for listening to me today. I cannot wait to catch up with you again soon.